If you have a Bible, we're going to go to Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. Uh, we're reading this in the message translation of the Bible. And uh, we have been talking about this, this, this topic, these couple verses for the last, uh, this is week seven. And uh, last week, our good friend Matt Murphy did a tremendous job uh, bringing, the, bringing the message. It was awesome. Give Matt a hand. It was fantastic. Um, I appreciate Matt preaching a couple times during this series. It's been wonderful. And uh, so this is what Jesus says. This is a beautiful invitation that you find in Matthew 11. Are you tired? Are you worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. And I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me, work with me, watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Uh, I'm going to do my best today. My goal is that uh, we try to sort of kind of tie together all the themes, all the topics that we've covered over the last several weeks. And, uh, and so we're going to wrap up this series. This is our last week of the seven-week journey. This is our last week of this message series. And so we're going to try and tie it all together today, starting with a brief conversation about McDonald's. I'm loving it. Uh, McDonald's. McDonald's is, um, it's amazing how such unremarkable food has left such an indelible mark on my childhood, my memories. It has been such a, a, a fixture of, of growing up for me. And, uh, and so uh, McDonald's is just sort of kind of an American icon. And, uh, and so they, they have done a great job throughout its history marketing. Their marketing has been always strong. And some of my, uh, if you remember old commercials growing up, I remember Ronald McDonald ice skating around Christmas and all these great commercials, the little chicken nuggets talking uh, to each other. It's been great. But uh, in the early 70s, this is B.C., before Chris, in the early 70s, uh, they launched a marketing campaign uh, that uh, was, it, it, it featured the, the, uh, the slogan, you deserve a break today. Does anybody remember that? You're, you're dating yourself. Now, let me tell you, it ran for like 20 years. Uh, so it ran into the 90s. This is why, why some of you guys are like, I remember that. Why do I remember that? It ran for a long time. And uh, doing a little research, reading about this, this ad campaign, they, they, they wanted to target a specific group of people, and they were really going after people who, uh, uh, families, individuals, with this idea that, hey, you deserve a break from the mundane routine of life. Take a break, escape the routine. And so they were targeting families and saying, you deserve a break from meal planning and, and cooking at the house. Uh, you deserve a break from uh, eating out at expensive restaurants. Uh, McDonald's is not that. Um, they, they targeted children and, and said, hey, kids, you deserve a break from broccoli and uh, come get some chicken McNuggets. And so it was an it was extremely successful campaign. In fact, it's, it's regarded as one of the most successful ad campaigns in history. And so, like I said, it lasted 20-plus years. And so, uh, incredibly successful. And uh, the reason I'm bringing it up is because I I was preparing for this last part of our series. And that slogan, 
uh, kept coming up in my, in, my, in my mind, and I realized that this slogan perfectly encapsulates the way that we interpret these verses that we just read, this invitation. Jesus says, come to me. Are you tired, weary, heavy laden? Come to me and find rest. You deserve a break today. That's, that's how we read it. As if Jesus is saying, hey guys, you, you, you're doing great. You're, you're, you're making it all happen. You're multitasking. You're spinning plates. You're doing fantastic. Uh, but I'll be honest with you, it, 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 it seems like you could use a breather. So how about you let the, the God of the universe um, take over for a minute and uh, give you a breather, and then you, you jump right back in and, and you take this thing the rest of the way home. And so that is such an accurate way in how we interpret these, the, this in, invitation in Matthew 11 is just uh, take a break, take a breather, and then jump back into it. And, and take it the rest of the way home. The way that we, we interpret these verses, typically, and, and really, more generally, the way that we ter- interpret the entire Bible, it, it, it tends to be from this vantage point, uh, with this presupposition of personal strength and competence and capability. It's, it's kind of our natural vantage point. And so, deep down... We, we just don't really think that we need that much help. Deep down, we just, we think we're pretty, pretty good and pretty capable. In fact, it's almost an indictment. It, we don't like asking for help. I don't. I've, I've had many occasions where I should have and I just absolutely would not because somewhere in me is this pride that just doesn't want to acknowledge or admit or even consider the fact that I actually need help. And so that's typically the way we, we read this. And so uh, when Jesus asks, are you tired, weary, burned out on, on religion? Come to me, find rest. Uh, to use a football analogy, which I don't often, but uh, to use a football analogy, we hear that as, hey, Chris, You've made it. You've run the ball to the 10-yard the line. You are right there. And so uh, how about I call a timeout and give you a break before you, 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 you score the touchdown, before you take it into the end zone? When, in fact, if you really get to this invitation, the heart of it, what Jesus is actually saying to us, and even in the context of Matthew 11, what he's saying to us in sticking with the football analogy, hey, Chris, you're still on your own goal line. You have not moved one yard. You have been running. You have been stressing. You have been striving. You are anxious. You are tired. You've been beat up. And you have not moved the ball one yard. Are you ready for a substitution yet. That's what he's saying. It could not be further from you deserve a break today. Could not be further. This, we, we tend to read the Bible with the presupposition of strength. And that, to me, is probably the greatest barrier that keeps us from properly, properly reading and interpreting 
in living out the Word of God. Walking and living by faith. One of the, the, the biggest barriers, one of the biggest deterrents is this, this addiction we have to our own personal strength, capability, cleverness. The tension between the religious leaders of, of Jesus' day and Jesus himself was this presupposition of strength that they approached all of life from. That was the, that was the tension. If you read about Jesus' uh, his, his interactions and his, his, his uh, altercations with the religious leaders, they, and he brought it up, you think you're clean, you think you're competent, you think you're together, you think you've got, you got it going on. But he called them whitewashed tombs, he called them broods of vipers, he called them all kinds of things. He let them know you're not nearly as good and as strong as you think you are. That was the tension in Jesus' day with the religious leaders. And unfortunately, deep down, humanity is still in that same place as it relates to our dynamic with God. We still tend to come at this whole endeavor, this whole thing that we call life, from this angle that we ourselves are strong, capable, and competent. A few weeks ago, we talked about um, the frequency where we hear and receive grace. The Bible says that God gives grace to the humble. And so the, the frequency that we tune into to hear uh, where grace is coming from, uh, we receive grace, is from a place of humility. That's the starting place. That's why you see people in the Bible who, like the older brother in the prodigal son story, who just could not get his mind around grace. The younger brother was wide open to it because he knew he needed it. And so there is a, a need, a necessity, a starting place of, of, of humility where we receive grace. And what humility is, in, in, a, in a phrase, is the gift of seeing ourselves seeing yourself correctly. So humility is the gift of seeing yourself correctly. And, and what I mean by that is, is, is not in comparison with other people, but in, in light of God Himself. Not comparing ourselves to other people, like, look at this knucklehead. At least I'm not as bad as he is. Or at least I'm way further along than this person is. Look at this group of people who are just, I'm sure God is really ticked off at. At least He likes me and I'm kind of in the right camp of, of people where God's pleased with me. And so we try to kind of elevate ourselves, level up by uh, comparing ourselves to others. But that's not humility, that's pride, always. Any comparison yourself with other people is, is leading to pride and or it's, it's total insecurity which is still just another version of being consumed by self. It's another version of pride. It's making the point, me. Humility is the gift of seeing ourselves correctly in light of God Himself who created us. And so to live in and walk in the rhythms of grace as is talked about here in Matthew 11, it requires a revelation of how desperately we need grace. 
it requires us to, to see and, and know and understand and comprehend and realize that we need grace more than anything else, more than breath in our lungs, more than life. We need grace. We require it. Which means we have to fall out of love with an addiction to our own strength and an addiction to our own um, competency and our own cleverness and our own capabilities. All this world focuses in on your strength, your ability, your resume. Now, if I, can, if I can compare and contrast a little bit, all the world points you to you, which is exactly what the law of Moses does. The law of Moses is all about your own personal success, growth, advancement, it's you not failing, you living up to a standard. That's why I talk about all the time that religion is not, the, the, the church has not cornered the market on religion. It's ubiquitous. It's our natural tendency. It's the natural drift of humanity. We are religious creatures. The difference is where, where we see the God role. It may not be God, and if it's not, it's probably self. Man substituting himself for God, which is the fall in the garden. It's the natural drift. That's what sin is. It's man taking uh, everything into his own hands and saying, I got it. We, we like to be in that role. And so, but all of life starts to become about me, my performance, my doing, my accomplishments, my elevation. That's religion. And that is not at all a life of grace. That, in fact, it's not at all a life of faith. So, part of this whole journey in learning to live in the unforced rhythms of grace is acknowledging and understanding something that's very hard to come to terms with, but it's, it's, it's seeing it, knowing it, admitting it, living in the awareness of it, and that is our own weakness. There's an icon of Christian strength and resolve in the Bible who, read the, who wrote the majority of the New Testament. His name's the Apostle Paul. And if there was an icon of religious Christian strength and resolve, it is Paul. In fact, I would say if we're creating a dream team, an all-star team of people who aren't Jesus, human beings... Uh, who are devoted uh, icons of faith, I would say Paul's the team captain in, in, in my team. And, and so yet, he is famous for writing this admission and acknowledgement in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 where he talks about this thorn in his flesh which um, Christians who are, are famous for majoring on the minors, uh, who <laughs> obsess over the things that, that make the main thing, uh, make something that is a side thing the main thing. Uh, they, they, they start speculating and, and writing books and, 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 and theological uh, dissertations about what this thorn is or could be. Talk about missing the point entirely. 
it, it does not matter. In fact, I think Paul's vague for a reason. Um, so is the thorn a physical uh, ailment that he has? Is it a sin? Is it an actual thorn? Uh, who knows? Doesn't matter. Not the point. But what the point is, is that he, uh, he acknowledges that he asked God multiple times, hey, can you alleviate this? Can you eliminate it? Can you, can you take this away? Can you remove this thing from me? And God's response to him is this. Hey, uh, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. And then he goes on to say this. Power is perfected in weakness. Now, for whatever reason, this might be one of the most glossed over quotes in the Bible. Um, for whatever reason, we just we, we don't really address this. We don't really consider this, what's being said. Hey, hey God, there's something wrong with me. I'm not 100%. I'm not all together. I'm not as strong as I would like to be. And then here's God saying, yes, that's where grace works. He says that His strength, His power, heavenly, supernatural, from God power, is perfected, maximized, within the place of human weakness. Paul's response to this, which I'm sure he's probably editing himself, I'm I'm sure he had some other responses uh, before this one, uh, if he's honest, but he says this, Most gladly, therefore, because of that, because your strength is perfected, my weakness, I would rather boast about my weakness, my weaknesses, plural, so that, the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Well, that's just not true, is it? You're strong when you're strong. You're not strong when you're weak. When you're weak, you're weak. But Paul's saying, no, no, no. From God's vantage point, when I'm strong, I'm weak. And when I'm weak, I'm strong. Jesus' whole ministry is framed with these cryptic thoughts. The last or the first, the least or the greatest. It's, it's backwards. It's counterintuitive. It doesn't make sense. But it's truth. Where the vast majority of of humanity would boast in their own personal resume and strength and competency and capabilities, and you would hear about what they've accomplished and what they've done well. I'm great at this, I'm really good at this, and look what I've done, and this is my 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 elevated status, and this is my uh, income level, and this is what I drive, and this is where I live, and check out, shouldn't you want to be me? And Paul, meanwhile, is saying, the only thing I boast in, the only time you're going to hear me brag, is about how impossibly weak I am. 
There's a reason for that. And it's not just because he's being humble for humility's sake and trying to be a good little Christian boy. He realized through experience that that the most advantageous place for him to personally be as a human being is weak. It is to his advantage to be weak. It is a plus, not a minus. It is, a, uh, it is not a character flaw. It is a strength. Ironically, weakness is strength. Jesus' invitation in Matthew 11 is to step out from under, a couple weeks ago we talked about this, to step out from under an old yoke, a different yoke. He says, come take my yoke, but he's inviting us to leave behind our own personal yoke, which is a yoke of individual personal progress. Individualism. Independence from God. In the same analogy, different picture, is Jesus saying, hey, abide in the vine. I'm the vine, you're the branches. Abide in me, I abide in you. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me means you're a stick individually trying to make this happen, but you're, it's not going to work because we're created for connection. We're created to be one in Him. He and us, us and Him, we're created for that. And so Jesus is inviting us from our, 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 our own yoke, which the Bible calls a yoke of slavery, and and the impossible burden that comes from that, because when we're trying to carry a yoke of our own self-righteousness and self-elevation and a life consumed by self, it costs everything but delivers nothing. Our own yokes, our own self-righteousness, our own uh, self-salvation projects, it costs everything and yields nothing. The Bible says, what, what, does, it, what does it benefit a man to... to to forfeit his, to gain the whole world, but forfeit his own soul for, for it to cost him everything and ultimately yield nothing that lasts. What about, just be honest, what about the life and the ministry of Jesus Christ causes us to believe that we will grow closer to him? and that we will begin to demonstrate and display Him more in this world by our own ascension and enlightenment. Just reading the Gospels, what about the life and the ministry of Christ makes us to believe we will be more like Jesus and we will, we will reflect Jesus more if we just become more ascended and elevated and enlightened. Like it's some intellectual pursuit instead of being yoked with Him and humbly loving and serving other people. Which sounds more accurate? Which sounds more like Jesus? He invites us to leave behind an old yoke of self-progress, self-elevation, and to be yoked with Him, which is the most important part of all of this, with Him, Come with me. Be yoked with me. Walk with me. Work with me. This invitation is, and I'm going to do my best to 
to paint this picture accurately so that we can catch it. This is a, a picture and an invitation of us to leave a place of complete and total incapability. Who can ascend the mountain of the Lord? Only those with perfectly clean hands and perfectly pure hearts. That's, that, that statement is to say, you can not. One is good. One is righteous. All fall short of the glory of God. In light of pleasing a perfect God, we are up against... We, we're, it's as if to say, God says, if you want to get to heaven, if you want to be with me for eternity... Here's Mount Everest. I want you to move it from there to there. Here's a plastic shovel. It is impossible. You can try. You can, you can kind of do that old adage, do your best and God will do the rest. Well, the truth is your best doesn't cut it. It just doesn't. Everything starts, everything in faith starts with this acknowledgement. I can't. The law was given to humanity to shove us off the cliff, to, for us to crash into the wall and realize, can't do it. The, the law was not given to make decent people into great people. The Bible says the law was given that sin might increase. The law fans the flame of our own human flesh and frailty. It exposes our incapability and the impossible nature of earning God's salvation. You can not. That's why Jesus' life, death, and resurrection is worth being the most important thing to us. Because it is because of His love and His grace and His sacrifice that we get in on His performance, not our own. His grace is sufficient for you. His grace is sufficient for me. And without it, we're all in deep trouble. What Jesus is inviting us to is leaving this crippling place of weakness in human flesh and frailty. And He is elevating us to join Him in His strength. He's saying, come with me. Are you tired? Are you weary? Are you heavy laden? Are you you finally being awakened to the fact that this is impossible? to earn and merit salvation, righteousness, freedom, uh, fulfillment, purpose, meaning. You're fighting a losing battle. But I'm inviting you to come to Me and experience all of that. He elevates us to a level of His strength. In this combination this linking, it can only happen His strength with our weakness. The, his strength with our strength 
It doesn't mix. His strength with our weakness, that's where His strength shines and it's perfected in us. Walk with me. Work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. That is to say, to paraphrase, we walk with Him in our desperate need for Him in His unconditional love and acceptance and grace for us. We work with Him in His desire to express that unconditional love and grace to other people. A couple weeks ago, we talked about the, the work that Jesus is actively doing. I will build my church. and He, he, he asks us to also to build each other up in love. This is, this is our role. This is our goal. It's not individual enlightenment. It's to express Jesus and share Jesus with others. And we learn the unforced rhythms of grace as we depend on it and as we're compelled to share it. A couple weeks ago, that's what we talked about, the work that Jesus is doing, building up others in love, building up the church. I'd like to close today with an example of, of that emphasis working out in our lives as a purpose for our lives. Building others up is not an exercise of personal strength and dedication to God. We don't build others up. This is why people's interpretation of discipleship is so fundamentally wrong, typically. People take discipleship as, I have elevated myself, let me help elevate you. His his grace and strength work through our weakness and that's how we build others up. It is not a, it's not a work of our own strength and dedication to God. It's God's dedication to us to work through our weakness with His strength. Last week, uh, Matt talked about extending grace to people that we, we don't necessarily agree with, that we don't necessarily get along with. And, uh, and he was as bold as to say, to have grace for people that we flat out hate. And the only gate, the only door where that happens, that we can travel through to to begin to have grace for other people, especially when we fundamentally disagree with them. Especially when the news channel that we like the most tells us to hate that person. We're being told and instructed by talking heads that we're supposed to despise people. The only path to experiencing, sharing that grace is through humility. Humility is required to experience that. Philippians chapter 2 has this, is, is a beautiful statement, but fairly, it's impossible too, but it says that we, um, with humility of mind, we are to consider more other people as more important than ourselves. But it starts with humility. With humility, consider other people as being just as important, if not more so, than yourself. As long as I see myself as stronger, more competent, more capable, better, then grace will be in short supply. If I see myself as being strong, then grace will not show up to the party. I just finished a book uh, last week, it's called Low Anthropology. And no, it's not about 
uh, the, the bottom story of a store that sells candles. It is about, uh, <laughs> anthropology would be the way that human beings view themselves. And to, to have a low anthropology is to compare yourself accurately with God. In light of God, I have nothing. Having a high anthropology would, would mean I am all I need. I can do it all. I got it. I've made it happen. Look at me. So it's a great book. It's by David Zoll, and, uh, who's brilliant. But uh, I jotted down this quote, and um, I thought I'd share it as we wrap up today. I love this, but he talks about where we connect and where we are separated as human beings. And uh, he put it this way. We are separated by our virtues, but we are united in our distance from virtue. We are divided by the specifics of our political or aesthetic ideals, but we are united in the fact that we all of us fall short of those ideals. We are separated by how and whom we love, but we are united in our failure to love perfectly. We are separated by the career paths we've taken, but we are united in the ubiquity of regret, both professional and otherwise. We're separated by how much we've gained or accrued, but united in the experience of loss and the fear of loss. We're separated by how we live, but we are united in the reality of death. If you notice, and maybe this is something that none of us have ever even thought about or pondered, If you notice, a life consumed by our own personal strength capability is a life that is divided, that is separate. Even pursuits and addictions to our own personal advancement comes at the expense of relationships, community. What really unites us. And the Bible says the perfect bond of unity is love. Where does love show up? Where does God's love and grace show up the most? His grace is, it shows up in our our weaknesses and in our humility and our understanding of our own weakness. So really what bonds us together as human beings is how frail and flawed and weak we are because we're human beings. What unites us is weakness. What, where is empathy? Empathy is, is acknowledging, understanding, and even relating to a, personal's, a person's hurtful, painful, scary, weak experience as a human being. We feel for them because we know what that feels like. So we are bonded in weakness. I read a, a study, this is years ago, I read a study that that uh, uh, a university did about how close human beings can get. And, and they found that the closest human experience that two people can have is when they, they face overwhelming tragedy together. The closest two people can get as human beings is when they face the worst things together which 
we did that study here recently, but the Bible says that we're supposed to weep with those who weep and mourn with those who mourn. The Bible says that we're supposed to be present there in the worst times together. Maybe there's something to that. I, um, I've had a lot of personal, emotional uh, bouts that uh, had to do with my own thought life, my emotions, my feelings, depression. Um, I've walked through a lot of things that, that weren't obvious. It wasn't apparent. You, know, you can see when someone's got a broken leg. No one could see that I had a broken heart. And, and so you just sort of kind of navigate and fake it till you make it. And I, God's healed me in a, so many ways and, and brought me through so many things. I'm nowhere near there. Or, or at a place of strength. But I've walked through a lot of things and he's been faithful through all of them. And I look back and I start to understand these, these crazy words in the Bible where we're supposed to count it all joy when we face afflictions. In the book of James, you're like, what, what are you even talking about? And then I realize, God, I thank God for the stuff that I walk through because I don't know what you're going through, but I'm, I, I probably can relate to how you feel because I felt that. It starts when you start to lean into the fact that and acknowledge the fact that I just I don't have it all together. Then suddenly, it's like grace starts welling up for other people who don't as well. As opposed to sitting comfortably on our high horse, judging, looking down our noses at people that have failed. I'm a failure too. Now we may have failed differently, but we're still sitting in the failure category. We're still wearing the L, <laughs> the shape of an L on your forehead. And it's probably the fact that we are losers that makes us all stars. See what I did? Smash mouth reference in church. Amen. People are like, this guy's a good preacher. No, he's not. <laughs> love is a perfect bond of unity. And the way that we gain revelation of God's love for us isn't in our deservedness, but in our undeservedness. God demonstrates his love towards us and that while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's Romans 5. God demonstrates, he shows us, we are made aware of his love. Not that we deserve it, but we don't. I'm going to close with this. From personal lived experience and from a trust in the word of God, I am happy to to declare to you and share this with you that there is so much rest there is so much freedom there is so much strength and joy and there is so much peace and fulfillment in our acknowledged and admitted weakness there is freedom there when when you are terminated from, fired from your job of keeping up with the Joneses, when you are terminated from the occupation of trying to prove yourself, to establish yourself, and to impress anyone else, when you are no longer employed by this idea of making people happy and making people like you, 
and presenting yourself as a strong, capable, competent person, you are free. Freedom is the time and the place where you can unapologetically be yourself. You can be you, warts and all. I'm, I'm, I'm personally as weak as they come. And as I get older, I used to think I would become more together, more competent. I thought that I'd graduate into those religious leaders that I see on TV that, that have their hair perfectly coiffed and they seem to have the answers for everything and cute little anecdotes for every possible scenario that life presents. Well, the hair being coiffed thing didn't work out very well. I count that all loss. I used to think that getting older would mean getting it together. But I'm realizing now that growing older just means that I'm becoming way more aware of my inability to get it together. I am impossibly weak. And I am impossibly fractured and broken and human and frail and incapable and incompetent. And I'm finding more freedom in living in that acknowledgement than I've ever experienced in any of my delusions of, of strength. I'm finding myself, when people are offended with me and they're letting me know, I'm finding myself not in front of them. In front of them, I'm very apologetic and sincere. But behind their backs, I smile. Not because they were offended, but because I'm okay with it. I'm okay with it. Because, listen, if you guys know me, you know my heart, my intent. I never intentionally try to hurt anybody. And if I unintentionally hurt anybody, that offense that lives is it's not my problem. That's a, that is not a Chris Stapleton thing to say. I know. Isn't it awesome? I'm coming to grips with my weakness. It's like, I say things wrong. I do things wrong. Isn't it great? Would you rather have a... Listen, if someone does everything right, what are they hiding? I'm, I'm done hiding. I'm weak. Thank God for His strength. Thank God for His grace that it is so sufficient that though I'm weak, He is strong. And His, strong, his strength is perfected in the arenas of my weakness. It is more advantageous for me to be weak than to pretend one more day that I am strong. This invitation that Jesus makes is for us who have been stressing and striving and straining, trying to be the perfect husband, wife, parent, teacher, leader, boss, employee, student. You know what? You're not the best at it. You're not going to be. In some areas... You straight up suck at it. And that's cool. Because I suck at what I do too. Truthfully, the community of faith should be a gathering place for people who just suck at what they do. They're human. We're fractured. We're flawed. And we all desperately need Jesus.